The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the sea, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, being tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said to him, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked out on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they had gotten into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear it. We pray that you would help us to live in its truth and to follow you, the one who is the source of all truth. We pray all this in your name. Amen. In the ancient world, the sea was a frightful place. The sea was the unknown. It was a frightening thing. It was filled with mystery. It was filled with danger. It was a place of terrible danger and overwhelming, uncontrollable power. It was a scary place. Fishermen were tough guys. They were tough guys physically and they were tough guys mentally and emotionally because the sea was not a place that just anyone wanted to take part in. The sea still fascinates us. We have great mysteries about the ocean floor and we're always fascinated by some of the, the, the creepy creatures that crawl upon the ocean floor. It's so deep and so dark and so vast, so big. It fascinates us. We're still in awe by its power. You might have seen the movie The Perfect Storm, and if you have, you remember that the sea can be awfully frightening and awfully powerful. But it's something that gives us awe. It's something that, gives, that fascinates us. Now, the Sea of Galilee at 12 miles north and south and seven miles from east to west, it was hardly an ocean. But because of the surrounding terrain and the, the behaviors of the wind and whatnot in that terrain, sudden storms could appear with very little warning on the Sea of Galilee, which is where this story takes place. The disciples are out in the middle of it. 
and Jesus is not there. In the ancient world, the sea could easily cause justifiable fear, especially when caught on the sea in the midst of a terrible storm, which is what our story is of this morning. The disciples were terrified, and rightly so. They were right in the thick of danger. They were alone in a fishing boat at 3 a.m. The fourth watch of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Most of us, thankfully, are asleep by then. Some of us, deep, deep sleep by then. But the disciples are out there in a boat, a little fishing boat, and they found themselves caught up in a sudden storm. The text tells us that the wind was contrary. The wind was boisterous. The waves leaped up into the boat. And then to make matters worse, as they're filled with fear, they think they see a ghost. I remember when, um, when I was a kid, I was probably nine or ten years old, and I had a couple of friends spending the night. It was a Friday night, and it was really, really late. We're sleeping in the living room. We've got the, uh, the, sofa, uh, the sofa bed pulled out, and we're watching some movies late at night. And uh, as it gets later, the movies get scarier. And we're in the middle of a movie. It was called 976 Evil. Now, the title alone probably should have given me pause. Wait a minute, why am I going to watch this? But it was this cheesy, cheesy horror flick. And um, we're a couple hours into the movie, maybe an hour into the movie. And, of course, we're young kids. We're on pins and needles. Everything that happens that sudden is terrifying. It's, of course, black, black, dark outside. Everything's dark. We're up way past when we should be up. It's probably about 1 o'clock in the morning. Everything in the house is completely quiet other than this movie. And there, there comes a scene, I forgot to tell you, all of a sudden it starts raining outside. And then every once in a while there will be lightning outside. And of course that just adds to our fear, adds to our worries. And there's this scene where I think they're, they're at a payphone and the payphone's ringing. And the guy goes to pick up the, the payphone and the TV starts cutting out. And the power's going off, and it's coming back on, and then the, the movie's continuing, and suddenly it just goes completely dark. And the thunder and the lightning is incredible. We're absolutely terrified. Thankfully, there are three of us, so none of us are crying. We're all trying to stay strong and be there for one another, encourage each other. I think we ought to just go, go to sleep. Now, we go to sleep, and when we wake up the, the next morning, we find out that a series of tornadoes have jumped over Pearl, Mississippi, and have almost leveled Brandon, Mississippi, the town just to the east of us. Now, we had no clue what was going on around us, but we were, we were very justifiably terrified. The disciples were terrified. What was happening around them was completely out of their control. They were in a very dangerous situation. They weren't just scared because of 
because of, of, of silly thoughts and silly decisions or anything like that, they found themselves in the middle of the sea with a sudden storm, pitch black darkness, and they don't know what they're going to do. There's much to fear in the world. In 1933, during his first inaugural address, FDR declared quite idealistically that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Now, perhaps he was uh, offering a a savvy rallying uh, cry in the midst of the deepest years of the Great Depression. But we know that there's an awful lot to fear in the world. There's an awful lot of dangers. There are an awful lot of things that can go wrong and do go wrong. And fear is sometimes very justifiable. There's much that can be rightly feared. Sometimes things are just a mess. You and I, we might currently have a number of fears, such as what's going on in the upcoming election. The direction of our culture and the direction of our country. We might fear the condition of the church at home and abroad. We might fear persecution, great or small. Some of us might be fearing returning to school or going for the first time. We might fear bullies. Troublemakers, evil people. You know, we still live in a world where there are evil people who do evil things. We might fear what's going on with our finances, difficulties at work, Strained relationships, relationships with family, relationships with friends, relationships with coworkers, next door neighbors. There is much to fear in the world, but there's one who walks on the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And so there was light. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of the sea and all that is within it. And He walks to us in the midst of dangers, in the midst of darkness. He comes in the sudden storm. He comes among the wind and the waves. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of all things, for He has created all things. And by His Word... They all are there. 
And so this one comes to us. He comes walking on the waters, walking through the dangers. Even with the storm, even despite the wind and the waves, and he speaks to us saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. As I was telling the the kids just a few moments ago, this story is in three of the four New Testament Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in John. The story of Peter walking out on the water, interestingly enough, is found only in Matthew. That puzzles me. Now, John, I could understand because John is purposefully giving us seven signs. And he tells us that he's limiting the things that he's going to say to us because he's got a point with each of those signs. So I can understand why, whether or not Peter walked out on the water is not really that significant of an issue for John as he's telling the account. But Mark. Mark is written by a guy who is a protege of Peter. Mark is getting his information for his gospel directly from Peter. And Peter fails to tell him, or perhaps he did tell him and he said not to include it about he himself walking out on the water. But Matthew, however, one of the twelve disciples, he goes ahead and tells us about Peter's audacious request and then his, his radical behavior. It's almost as though Peter doesn't want to puff himself up. But Matthew is glad to tell us about the radical faith and the audaciousness of one of his friends. Almost as though Peter says, nothing significant related to me happened, but Matthew chimes in and says, oh yeah, let me tell you what Peter did. And what Peter does is he says, Lord, if it is you, you just say the word and I'll come out on the waters with you. And Jesus' response is very simple. Come. Come. Out here where it's dangerous. Come. Out here in the storm. Come. Out here where the wind is boisterous. Come. 
Step out into the waves and come to me. And so Peter climbs out of the boat and begins walking out on the waters to meet with Jesus. Now we too quickly point to the fact that yeah, but Peter then begins to sink because he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he notices how boisterous the, way, the wind really is. And he gets terrified and ends up having to cry out, Lord, save me. But before we rush to that part of the story, we ought to stop and take pause at the fact that Peter is audacious enough to say, Jesus, if it's really you, you just say the word and I'm coming out onto the water with you. And for a moment, he actually, his feet are standing upon the waves. His feet are standing upon the stormy waters. And he is approaching Jesus in the midst of the danger, in the midst of all of the darkness, in that sudden storm, surrounded by the wind and the waves. He walks. This story directs our attention back to the beginning and ahead to the end. For the one who created all things is the one who comes to us in the worst of things. This is a creation-esque type story. The darkness... The deep, one hovering over the face of the waters, the one who said, let there be light, and therefore there was light, is the one who cries out to us, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. The one who will make all things new is this one. The one who speaks in the midst of the darkness. The one who approaches us in the midst of the danger. He is the one who is able and will make all things new. And so how do we face our troubles? We face our troubles by hearing the words of Jesus, those words that He speaks to His disciples. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. You know, courage is often misunderstood. Because when we think of courage, I know as children... I know as, as a child, I used to think, okay, courage means not being... Not being fearful. It means you, you man up and you don't get scared of things. But ver- courage is a virtue. And virtues are not 
escapist mentalities. They are very pragmatic and very realistic pieces of what ought to be a part of our lives in the midst of this life, in the midst of this life and its troubles. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to stand firm and the willingness to be faithful and to do hard things in the midst of our fears and despite the dangers. Courage is not a denial of fear. It's not to ignore fear. It is not just about sucking it up and forgetting about our worries. Courage is what it takes to get through those worries, through those dangers, through those fears. I love Jesus saying, take courage. In the New King James it says, uh, be of good cheer, which is a, a nice and pleasant way of, of putting it. But he literally says, take courage. Grab it. Hold on to it. Grasp it. It is yours for the taking. We face our troubles by taking courage, but we face our troubles also by embracing the presence of the one who comes to us in the midst of those troubles. Because the second thing that he says to his disciples is, It is I. When I was in um, taking a Gospel of John class in seminary, we made a, 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 a lot to do about a phrase that occurs in the Greek text throughout John's Gospel. Every time Jesus makes his I am statements, he's got seven of them. They kind of mimic or go along with those seven signs that John points out. But every time Jesus makes those seven I am statements, he uses a, 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 a Greek phrase that is ego, a me. It's where we get ego, ego. Uh, it means I. And a me, interestingly enough, is not just a verb. It's actually a subject and a verb. A me is I am. And so when Jesus says, ego, a me, he's kind of being redundant. But he's emphasizing, I am this. Me. Not someone else, but me. This... Uh, as I was looking at Matthew's gospel, he uses those same two words here when he says, it is I. Now they're in inverted order, a me, a go. However, I thought, wait a minute. I know in the Old Testament, God reveals his name to Moses. And it's the name Yahweh. I am. During the New Testament times, many of the disciples were reading the Greek Old Testament. A translation is called the Septuagint. 
It was a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And interestingly enough, those Greek translators, when they are translating Yahweh, they use the phrase, Ego Eimi. The one who approaches us in the midst of the storms, he is the one who created all things. He is the eternal God. And he comes to us and he tells us, take courage. It's me. I am here. And not only am I here, I'm the one that you can count on. I'm the one that you can bear your weight upon. I am the one who can silence the waves. And I am the one who can call you out of the boat to walk upon them. We ought to embrace His presence as we face our troubles. No matter how big, no matter how small, we ought to embrace His presence. For He is with us and He approaches us and He calls out to us and He reminds us, it is I. I am here. He tells us also, do not be afraid. As we face our troubles, we must remember that yes, we may be surrounded by things that can cause fear. Yes, we may be surrounded by dangers. We may be filled with worries and anxieties. We may have a number of things in our lives that can go wrong or could go wrong or have gone wrong or are just simply wrong. But we must remember to not act out of fear. Because we have one who comes in the midst of all of that and he tells us, do not be afraid. Fear, yes, is justifiable, but do not be afraid. So in facing our troubles, as we take courage and as we embrace the presence of the one who approaches us and speaks to us, We ought also to not act simply out of fear. But act out of loving trust in Him. The temptation to act out of fear is great. Whether it be in deciding leaders or figuring out how to navigate the, quote, culture wars. Whether it be in how to react to persecutions. What to do at school. How to interact with bullies. Or how to relate to people who wish to cause us harm. Or cause our families harm. It's easy to act out of fear. But Jesus calls us to do the hard thing. 
Do not be afraid. It is I. Take courage. One of the best ways we can take courage and one of the best ways we can embrace Christ's presence one of the best ways we can be sure that we're not simply acting out of fear is by being with one another. Having a friend. Having someone to worship with us. Having someone to pray with us. Having someone to ask us tough questions or bounce ideas off of. Someone to spend time in small group with. Someone to spend time in worship with. Someone to, after worship, spend time drinking a cup of coffee with. Together, it's much, much easier to take courage to embrace His presence and to not act out of fear because in others, Christ gives the opportunity for us to hear those words, you know what? I'm here with you and I won't let you down. I'm... I'm as a pastor and as just a, 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 a Christian thinker, I'm sick and tired of hearing you can't trust anybody, don't trust your pastor, you can't trust your Sunday school teacher, you know, look to Jesus only because everybody else is going to let you down. We ought to look one another in the eyes on a regular basis. And have the audacity to say, you know what? I'm not going to let you down. You can count on me. I'm not going to fold. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to break. I'm here. We need to hear that from others. And may God make us the type of people that can seriously and faithfully say that to one another. Take courage. There's a lot of storms out there. There's a lot of wind. There are a lot of waves. Take courage. Let's pray.